Hello, I'm Brandon Martini, a commercial pilot and flight instructor. And I'm Carson Vasquez. I'm a private pilot. And you're listening to the Aviation Mentors podcast sponsored by Stratus Financial. So buckle up because the Aviation Mentors are taking off. Welcome back, everyone, to another amazing episode of the Aviation Mentors podcast. Today, uh, we wanted to discuss some of the specifics of getting your instrument rating. I know we've talked about uh, getting your instrument rating uh, once before, but we just barely touched on it in a really short episode. So we want to dive a little bit deeper and uh, hopefully give you guys some content that's really useful, especially on some changes that happened a little over a year ago uh, that some CFIs are still getting confused with. Uh, so there's obviously a ton of effort that goes into getting an instrument rating, but like all your certificates and ratings, there are certain requirements that really have to go into it. Well, there, you know, there are a few things that we really want to discuss today. Uh, the last time we talked about instrument ratings, it was really the struggles behind it. I think I want to talk about that because I was having a particularly rough couple lessons before that. I'm sure that's what it was, right? It absolutely was, Carson. And by the way, everybody, I hope you're enjoying uh, my use of these little things that I found on our media today. I think they're funny, so. <laughs> that's what matters, so we're going to keep using them. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we're here to keep ourselves entertained, and, and you guys are all just a great bonus to it. <laughs> yeah, we talked about a lot um, of just the struggles behind it, but there's a couple of things we want to discuss today. So let's start off with a quick refresher on what you can do with your instrument rating. Well, what you can do with your instrument rating is fly an IFR, uh, right? I mean, that's the big thing that you want to do, uh, instrument flight rules. Uh, so you, that means you can actually file a flight plan and fly in instrument weather conditions, So, which means below VFR. Uh, so that means you can fly less than three miles visibility, uh, you can fly less than three miles visibility, and you can fly in the clouds. You don't have to stay away from them, and you don't have to keep your, your VFR minimums uh, in whatever airspace you may be in. So some airspace, you can be right next to the cloud, but not touching it, and some of them, you have to be several thousand feet away. Um, so when you're flying IFR, you can actually fly straight through them, which is fantastic. But guess what? When you're in a cloud or in low visibility conditions, you can't see. So if you can't see, then you definitely need to be relying on your instruments. So that's why it's called instrument flight uh, rules or IFR. You can essentially also move through different airspace a lot easier. For example, uh, you don't actually need a clearance through Class Bravo. Uh, you're automatically cleared through a Class Bravo when you're on an IFR flight plan. I did not actually realize that when I initially got my, my instrument rating. I thought that I still had to be cleared through the Class Bravo. And I don't know how that got missed on my check ride, but somehow I didn't realize that and I still passed the check ride. So you can still not know everything after you pass the check ride and that's kind of normal, right? Uh, remember when you get a license or a certificate or a rating, it's really a, an additional uh, rating or license to learn. So you can learn a little bit more about flying and, and different things. So don't be afraid to make a mistake. Like I always say, there's no stupid questions. The only time it's stupid is the first time because you'll never be stupid again. And, uh, and I feel really good about that uh, because I won't be stupid after I ask the question, right? And you also don't have to uh, adhere to any specific weather requirements like I kind of talked about earlier. So it also allows you, you can fly as a commercial pilot. I mean, actually, you can fly as a commercial pilot without being IFR rated, but it's really, it really kind of restricts you on a lot of things. And I don't know anybody that would hire you as a commercial pilot without an IFR rating. It really just doesn't make any sense, right? Um, and uh, you also... We'll probably have an instrument rating if you want to become a flight instructor, right? Uh, you need to be able to fly in the clouds and be able to, to teach people how to how to get out of a sticky situation, right? So that's how you can still do your three hours as a private pilot under the hood um, with a non-CFII. You can do it with a just a CFI. You can even fly in the clouds 
um, with a CFI. It just doesn't count as double I time towards your instrument rating later on. So that in a nutshell is what you can kind of do with an IFR rating. Oh, by the way, one other thing. IFR rating will also keep you out of dangerous airspace. It'll keep you on what's called Victor Airways or T routes or depending on what type of flying you're doing. Uh, but they'll keep you out of MOAs, military operating areas, and they'll also keep you out of restricted airspace. So you'll never have to worry about that, um, whether it's restricted airspace all the way up to outer space or if it's just restricted airspace um, along maybe 2,000 feet or something. It'll keep you out of all the restricted airspace, which is fantastic as well. I mean, why wouldn't you want to get your instrument? There's uh, there's just plenty of positives to it, like uh, the ability to get yourself out of sticky situations, that extra knowledge. But, you know, we're called the instrument rating because of the instruments. So in terms of the plane that you're going to be training in, Brandon, when you're doing the instrument rating and the instrument training for it, uh, does the plane that you're, you're training in actually need to be instrument rated? The answer is kind of. Um, there's really no such thing as an instrument rated airplane. Um, there's an airplane that has the tools that will allow you to either train for an instrument rating, which means it'll have like VORs and nav aids and, and things like that in it. Um, and it'll also have the pedostatic check and transponder check, right? Uh, you need all of those things to make an airplane IFR. It also has to be certified in a standard category aircraft uh, for it to fly IFR. So whenever you go look at your Cessna 172 or more Cherokee or whatever you may fly, that's a standard uh, type of aircraft, you'll notice in it that it says for VFR and IFR night. It typically will say those night and day. Actually, it'll say it in the aircraft or in your POH. But if you go fly a light sport like my Icon, um, it will say uh, VFR day only, or it'll say something like that. But since it's a light sport, I'm not sure if it says that. I'd have to go double check. Uh, but you're only, you're only allowed to fly IFR in a plane that was certified to be able to fly IFR. Besides it being certified to fly IFR, it also has, to, like I said, it has to have all of the instruments that are needed. And then it also uh, has to have the pedostatic transponder check. But outside of that, you can fly an airplane that was not originally certified to be IFR, such as a light sport aircraft. So I have a friend of mine who has an Evector Harmony. And with that Evector Harmony, uh, it is not instrument rated from the manufacturer in the FAA. It strictly has the instruments in the aircraft for it to be able to fly uh, simulated IFR. So you can go do practice approaches all day long in it. Uh, you can actually go under the hood all day long in it, but you are not allowed to fly that airplane in a cloud. So you can do all of your training in that airplane, and you can still get through all of it, and uh, and then you can take your check ride in that airplane as well, as long as you never fly through an actual cloud, as long as it's all hood time or simulated instrument time. So is there a reason for it? I mean, if it has all the capabilities, um, aside from it just being not licensed for it or you know, made for it by the manufacturer... It's the rule. Uh, that's really all it comes down to. Uh, I've heard uh, talkings about uh, light sports being able to fly IFR. And to be honest, I think there's several light sports that should be able to be uh, flown IFR. Uh, same thing with uh, some experimental aircraft. Uh, so the answer is, should they be able to? I absolutely think they should be able to. Not all, but but some, especially ones that are actually capable of it. Uh, that Harmony that I'm talking about, I mean, it has a full autopilot. It'll, it can fly. It has, it's a Garmin autopilot. It'll fly the approach all the way down to minimums for you. I mean, it's a really capable aircraft. But also when you are flying in instrument weather conditions, the, it could be a little bit more bumpy. It could have really bad turbulence. You could accidentally fly into something that you want to. And I could see how the FAA would probably see that as um, not being very safe because you're flying a really light aircraft into a turbulent situation, and it's not really rated for that type of 
turbulence for lack of a better word. So that's why I think that they don't allow it, but there should be some that they really should allow, honestly. So I guess there's nothing physically stopping the plane except for, you know, the turbulence and, and of course, the, the rule that you can't do it. You know, there, there should be nothing stopping it. Uh, but while we're talking about IMC, it brings up another question I have. Uh, can you get your instrument rating without ever experiencing instrument meteorological conditions without ever going into the soup, as everyone likes to call it? Absolutely, you can. Uh, most people uh, I've I've met uh, get their instrument rating without ever going into the soup or going IFR. Uh, they never go into a cloud. They don't know what it's like. Um, they may live in a place that it's just they don't get clouds very often, so it's not really possible to do that, right? Uh, I know that I had, I don't know, I think I had only like four hours or three hours of actual instrument, maybe a little less than that when I got my instrument rating. And I think that most people I've ever met did not have any. Um, I don't think that's great. I really think that you should go experience IMC. It's a heck of a lot different than flying with a hood on. Um, when you fly with a hood, you can cheat a little bit. I mean, let's be honest about it. You can side eye and look outside the window and see if you're really level. I mean, there's ways you can cheat yourself out of it, which I don't recommend. I mean, you want to learn the skill, right? You don't want to try to cheat yourself out of learning that skill and letting your body learn the skill is really what you want to do. You want to let your body learn the skill of instrument flying and to ignore certain senses from your middle ear telling you, hey, I'm turning left really hard. But in reality, you're going straight and level. And if you turn right to counteract that, you're going to get into a spiral or something that's that's not fun. But I feel like when you're under the hood, like you just have that tendency to want to, you know, look out and it's so unnatural to not be able to see but fly an airplane. It's true. It is. I mean, that's why you need to really uh, try to force yourself to not cheat on that part of it. Right. You really should have that hood on. And that's why I like the big hoods. So some people use foggles, which I use foggles most of the time. But if you use the big hood, the reason why we call it a hood, because it literally is like a hood over your whole face. And I wish you guys could see my hand movements right now. <laughs> uh, don't worry. Eventually, we're going to get to uh, to video and you're going to see all of my hand movements and and my facial expressions and all the funny things that uh, that we do on this, right? Yeah, just a few more weeks and we can see your face do it. <laughs> exactly. And I'm enjoying this uh, drum joke and, and different things way too much, obviously, on this, on this episode. I hope you guys are too. But I think that's the, uh, I think that's the difference between doing simulated hood time versus actual IMC is you can't cheat. You look out the window and that's when you actually start to, to really get disoriented. And it's what teaches you to look at your instruments and have your scan, do things the right way. Yeah, that's true. Uh, did you have any actual IFR, Carson, um, in your instrument training? I know you have quite a few hours now. Yeah, uh, I've got about 250 and you know, 200 of them were IMC. I, I do a lot. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> we don't live in Washington. We do not, no. Southern California. Um, I, I get maybe 0.001 when I fly through the layer and during June gloom. But uh, yeah, I think I have about probably about the same you did when you did your check ride, like five or six hours. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've gotten a lot more IMC this year than I have any other year. I don't know if it's because of the El Nino year or whatever it's been, but literally we had six months of absolute terrible weather in California. I've never seen this terrible of weather in California. It's been brutal. Yeah, it's been dark and gloomy and perfect time to do your instrument training, really. It really has been. I mean, I know a lot of students that got their instrument rating that normally wouldn't have, and uh, it's because their instructors are willing to go fly FR. Um, I know, by the way, it is legal. I don't even think we have this as a topic, but it is legal to go do your check ride. Uh, actual IFR, but your DP has to be okay with it. And not all DPs are okay with that. Um, I don't think I would be okay with that as a DP uh, because the 
the liability transfers from the student. Now it transfers to me as the the pilot examiner. And if something goes wrong, I just don't want that liability, uh, especially where I would be at in, in my flying career. So some DPs will do it and some will not. So my personal preference, I don't think I would. Uh, because I just want to err on the side of safety. It's what the FAA would want. It's what I would want. And there's a lot of people I think that would. I think it would make for a, a nerve-wracking check ride. But yeah, before we get into the check rides themselves, um, I, I know there's just a big change with the instrument requirements to take the check ride. And I, I think it happened about this time last year, a couple months before that. Um, but can you explain what that change was about? Yeah, what Carson's referring to is a memorandum that the FAA released in February of 2022. Uh, that overruled two prior interpretations of Part 6165, Delta 2II Charlie. Yeah, I know. It's a mouthful. It's, it's hidden in there. But you can go look at, uh, look at the FARM, and, and you can go find it if you would like. <laughs> uh, it's there. Um, but what it says, it says that the 250 nautical mile cross-country had to be done with three different kinds of approaches with the use of navigational systems. So before you had to do like a localizer, you had to do a uh, VOR, and then you had to do a GPS, or uh, you could have done an ILS, a VOR, and a GPS approach or something like that. You just had to do three different ones. But the previous rulings concluded that three different types of navigation systems that had to be used, and the other ruling was the precision approach radars and airport surveillance radars um, not to count as navigation systems in terms of satisfying the requirement. According to the FAA Assistant Chief Counsel for Regulations in this memo, he quotes, quote unquote, the regulations plain language requires three different types of approaches, not three different types of navigation systems. So essentially, you can do three different types of approaches anywhere. So if you go and do an ILS at ABC Airport, and then you go do an ILS at RAL Airport, and then you do an ILS at Chino Airport, uh, those count as three different types of approaches because the regulation did not say three different types of navigational systems. So that's what's changed um, in that particular regulation. So if you want to do three GPS approaches on that long cross-country, feel free. You can do three if your, your plane has it. Um, I believe you can actually even do three with an autopilot if you wanted to. I will tell you that you will not be as good of a pilot if you go to three of the same exact types of approaches at three different airports um, and you use the autopilot all the way down to minimums every time at that. Uh, you should probably do it the, the way that it was interpreted prior and you should do three separate different types of approaches at three different airports. It's a lot and I remember doing it for my uh, instrument training and it's not easy. It really drains you and after that flight, you learn a lot about yourself and you learn a lot about the airplane and you learn really a lot about instrument flying because, I mean, you're really doing it. I mean, try doing a VOR approach into Camarillo, um, Charlie Mike Alpha. By the way, everybody who's a pilot or starting to be a pilot, you should go look up that airport and you should go look up the VOR approach to that airport. Um, it's an absolute nightmare. You are turn, twist, time, tune, throttle, talk the whole time and you are twisting <laughs> every time you pass a radial. Uh, you're going to have to pass another radial and then descend at the same time and your hand is like constantly just on that OBS knob, just changing your radial that you're trying to intercept. It's really uh, interesting, challenging, and, and it's a really fun approach after you master it. Uh, I don't think I mastered it on my 250 nautical mile approach, and I don't know if I would have done that on my check ride. But I can say I've done that approach several times uh, in the past. I haven't been able to do it lately because the VOR, um, which is Fillmore VOR, uh, F-I-M, um, is the instrument, uh, is the VOR unit that we use to, to 
check those radials and it's been out of service for a long time. I mean, even when you told me you were going to go fly and do some training a few months ago, you said it was out and I tried it, uh, I think three weeks ago or something. And I think it was out then too. So it's always out and I, I can't, I can't deal with that. So unfortunately I don't go there anymore. Well, you know, I started doing my training after this, uh, after this memorandum came out. So I haven't really known anything different. Um, so if you can remember this far back, because I know you're getting older and uh, up there in age and, uh, especially because when everyone hears this episode, it's going to be your birthday. So just want to let everyone know, happy birthday, Brandon. Thank you. Yes. I will be older on the day that this comes out. <laughs> so thank you for the birthday wishes, Carson, for letting everybody know this. I'm so happy that, I don't know, 20,000 more people are going to know about my birthday. So I appreciate that. Of course. It's the sweetest birthdays. Uh, happy birthday wishes you're going to get out of me. Thank you. <laughs> So, Brandon, if you can remember that that far back, uh, what did you do for your instrument trek ride, and, and what was that like? Well, back in my day, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't help myself. Hope you guys are, are liking this episode because we're doing it the night before Fourth of July um, at ten o'clock at night uh, Pacific time. So that's one a.m. Eastern for all of you. Uh, and I know I've been up since around six a.m. this morning. You probably about the same, Carson. Uh, so we're running on fumes here, but uh, literally we've been prepping for family stuff tomorrow all day. And I had a lot of work to do today because I was out on Friday. So we're doing this really late tonight. So we're a little bit a uh, little bit giddy, I think. Yeah, winner, winner's going to win, but we also discover the sound effects. So I hope that's to your guys' benefit. Exactly. Or detriment. I'm not really sure. Hopefully, hopefully we can have our producer, Phil, uh, help us uh, tune those in a little bit more and I mean, maybe you can do it in post-production, probably way better. So uh, what did the check ride look like for me back, uh, back when I did it? It was, it was almost a decade ago uh, now, a little less than that, actually. Uh, but uh, instrument check ride looked, looked very much the same, and, and prepping for that instrument check ride was very much the same. I did it a lot later, so I already had well over my 50 hours of cross-country. I had well over 40 hours of my simulated instrument, and then... Because I was a slow IFR learner, I had well over my 15 hours of uh, instrument flight training with a CFII, um, which is what you need to do. So you can do a lot of that cross-country and, and simulated time with, with a safety pilot. In certain circumstances, you have to log it correctly, um, like I've talked about in the previous episode. Uh, but you also have to have that 15 uh, hours with a double I. So you can do a lot of stuff with a CFI, but the double I stuff is really uh, where it needs to be be done to, to finalize everything. Right. Uh, so taking the check ride was really, uh, was really a great experience for me. I was really nervous. I was really scared for it because I, I was one of those guys who failed the instrument written, I think two times, uh, before I finally passed it. I'm not a really good, uh, written test taker at all. Um, the, the words on written tests confuse me always. And it's just, it's not my thing I'm, I'm great at, and I'm more than happy to admit that. Uh, but as soon as I practice and study, I always finish it. So uh, I, I finally finished my written. I went and took my uh, my IFR test, and uh, the oral was a couple hours long. And, uh, and we touched on weather quite a bit because that's what you're going to be flying. And you're flying in different kinds of weather. And uh, and then taking the check ride, I did several different approaches. I can't remember exactly which approaches I did, but I can tell you the th- three airports that I did go to to do the approaches. Uh, I did an approach into Chino Airport. I did an approach into uh, Corona Airport, which was probably the VOR Alpha. And then I also did an approach into uh, San Bernardino Airport. And that's because we were doing uh, we were doing that in San Bernardino. And then my airplane had a DME in it. It was Cessna 172 and had a DME. So I had to do a DME arc uh, as well. And I know a lot of people don't have to do DME arcs uh, because their airplanes do not have DME. Uh, but if you have GPS, it 
it's probably going to be on your checkride. So make sure you learn how to do a DME arc. Uh, you can even do kind of a simulated DME arc if you're not going to do one of those types of approaches, uh, which is kind of fun. Uh, I did not have to do one of those approaches, but I did have to do the arc. And then obviously you have to do a bunch of hood time. Um, I mean, pretty much the entire check ride is under the hood <laughs> uh, for you to do. And my DP actually like pretended he was ATC, and I actually had a little bit of trouble figuring this out. I was like, "You're simulating ATC, or you are ATC." I didn't know if I was just supposed to repeat things back to him or any or something like that. So uh, he was really helpful, though. He explained to me what what we were doing a second time because obviously I was nervous, just like everybody is on a check ride. Uh, but we did those approaches, and we used all the navigational aids. He had me tracking uh, VORs, and he had me do all the stuff that we had to do. And uh, and luckily, I got back down, and I asked him how I did. And I looked to my right, and uh, Ernie said, uh, he said nothing. He just gave me a thumbs up uh, on our taxi back. And uh, and I just was, I remembered what I did on my first check ride. And after I got the thumbs up from Andrea, I put my arm out the window, and she yelled at me um, in a nice way, but yelled at me. <laughs> And uh, I put my arm back in the window. She said, we're not parked yet and you haven't passed yet. Um, that's what she told me on my, my, uh, on my private check ride. So I made sure I didn't make that mistake on my instrument. When I kept my arm inside, I didn't want to cool down. No matter how hot I was, it didn't matter. So I ended up doing that and uh, went in and I got a shiny new piece of paper. And uh, back then, you actually uh, you would actually take a, a hole puncher and punch a hole in your existing certificate because it was no longer valid. And uh, I haven't seen many DPEs do that lately, so I don't know if that's a requirement when you get a new uh, certificate anymore, which is, I don't know, an interesting thing. But they used to do it right where your, uh, like the little logo is. I don't, not really, it's like the FAA logo on the on the left or right side, I don't remember which side it's on, but uh, they would take and poke a hole right there. So that was kind of the synopsis of my instrument check ride. I mean, sounds like there's a lot that goes into your instrument check ride and I'm still scared for mine. So I'll remember not to put my arm out the window though. <laughs> Thanks. I was waiting for that one. Yeah, you should have been. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, as we've discussed in, in one of your guys' favorite episodes, uh, 15 things to do after your private pilot, getting your instrument rating is a great next step in your aviation career. And it allows you to really take flight in a variety of weather conditions and things that you just can't fly in with only your private pilot license. So another interesting thing that we see is the FAA's memorandum uh, regarding that long cross-country requirement, and it applies to the check rides as well. So that you know you can kind of see the FAA is prone to adapting and evolving to make things easier for us in our flight training. Yeah, I'm really grateful the FAA has been adapting to a lot of things. They they obviously adapt slower uh, because they have to. It's the federal government. They they're going to work a little slower. They want to they want to do checks and balances, which is fantastic for. Um, for everything. Uh, but you're going to see the FAA make a lot of changes in the near future, uh, especially after we get a, a new administrator that's a full-time administrator. I can guarantee we're going to see some uh, some sweeping uh, regulations that are come out of this, especially due to the pilot shortage, which Stratus Financial is helping uh, solve by financing more pilots. Uh, but I think you're going to see different regulations in regards to uh, minimums, uh, in regards to like ATP minimums, things like that. But I'm not sure when that'll happen. There's a lot of different... Uh, different companies and and different regulatory authorities and different places that don't really want that to happen. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but like Carson said, uh, getting your instrument rating is really probably one of the best things you can do as a pilot. It's If you own an airplane, it's going to lower your insurance cost immensely, uh, typically by the time your next billing period is. So try to get it before your next billing period. Uh, if you are going to get an instrument rating, you own your own airplane. 
but go get your instrument rating. It's it's fantastic to fly in a cloud. It's really an interesting experience. It puts your body in a place that uh, you've never been before. In the air is already abnormal, but uh, really being in the air and being in the middle of a cloud where your senses uh, don't matter, uh, that's really an exhilarating process. And it gets your blood pumping. And uh, it's really just... I don't know if I would call it enjoyable right away, but it but it is uh, something that that you should experience and and live uh, live life and and go do it. So uh, I hope you got something out of today's episode on uh, our deep dive into an instrument rating. And uh, if you want to hear something from us, please reach out to us. Uh, by the way, this this idea came up from uh, I'm in a group called the Student Pilot Community on Facebook, and every once in a while I chime in on student pilot questions and uh, comments and. Uh, I don't know if it was today or yesterday, I chimed in on a student's question and it was regarding using an airplane uh, that is not certified IFR uh, to be able to fly and do training in. And I thought that was a fantastic episode idea and I know we just touched barely on the instrument rating prior. So I wanted to get into a little bit of more of a deep dive and really talk about what you can do with that instrument rating and what airplanes you can use. And that's really what kind of started this. So ask questions, uh, even ask them in those groups because we do see them. Uh, I'm all over the Facebook and and uh, Reddit groups, so I, I like to poke around and hopefully find him, and Carson does the same. So uh, thanks a lot for listening today, and if you'd like to reach out to either one of us, you can reach us at brandon at aviationmentors.com or carson at aviationmentors.com. And as a wrap-up for the day, remember, we're here to guide you in your aviation journey, so fly safe and enjoy the ride. That's all, folks. 